you got them awake, I may put them to sleep, Tom, but thank you. <laughs> you did your part. It's so wonderful to see you all here this morning. Thank you for being here. And it's always a blessing to be here together with one another and to see all of our members here and of all of our visitors, all of our special guests. Thank you so much for being here. And we're so very thankful for those who join us online. Your people too, we care about you. We don't forget about you. And uh, we're always here for you. If there's anything you ever need, a visit, a call, any other assistance we can give you, let us know how we can serve you. We're so thankful to have you here this morning as we continue our study in the book of Philippians. And uh, we're in chapter 3 this morning. But I want you to think about this. On the Nantucket is an island of about 12,000 people off of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And on that island is a store called Take It or Leave It. The store Take It or Leave It is actually at the landfill, the island's landfill, where you know people take their, their uh, well, all the garbage and things getting thrown out are taken. But the, the, the store Take It or Leave It is there because that's exactly what it is. It's a place where you can take something that maybe isn't quite ready for the landfill, at least you don't think so, and you can leave it there for others to, to, to take. And then while you're there leaving something, you might find something that works for you, that, that you need, that you like, and you want to take it with you. Free exchange of stuff that will otherwise go to the landfill, like a free garage sale. Take it or leave it, a real, a real place. You can go and find furniture, clothes, toys for Christmas. Not a bad idea, right? Free toys for Christmas. I love that. Uh, it's a common place for the, the, the people that live on the island to go and just kind of be together, to share together, to visit, and to leave something, and to take it. So if you were to take that old recliner that's in your house or that, that extra chair, that, that sofa that's in that other room, whatever that thing is in your house, if you were to say, you know what, I'm finally going to get rid of it and take it over to the take it and leave it store, then what are you saying? You're saying that I used to rely on you. You used to be helpful and important and necessary for me, but I no longer need you. I no longer rely on you. I no longer need your service. I'm taking you and leaving you there and in the meantime, you might find something you can take back with you. What about our beliefs, though? Our beliefs in God, our beliefs about his love for us, his acceptance of us, our beliefs about salvation. Do you have any beliefs that you need to take to the take it and leave it store and leave behind? Are there some beliefs that you need to pick up at the take it and leave it store that, that are more biblical and more, more sound? I think that's what Paul is teaching the Philippian Christians here in the passage we're going to look at this morning. That there are some things that he left behind from his past and he found something, Christ, to take up and take with him. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 and I'll read verses 1 through 11, our passage for this morning. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision 
who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul again expresses his special love for these Philippian Christians, his care for them, his close relationship with them, when he opens up this, what we have as chapter 3, by saying, finally, brothers, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, and so another emphasis on the theme of uh, rejoicing, joy in Jesus that Paul has in this letter. And this time he doesn't just say rejoice, he says rejoice in the Lord. And he's going to say some things about being in the Lord. In other words, he's saying, find your joy in Jesus. Now, then Paul says, it's no trouble for me to write you the same things again. And it's a safeguard for you. Now, why, why would Paul say that? What is he saying? What does he mean by that? Well, think about how you learned just about anything. From to do the work that you do, hobbies, just to learn to read and write, ride a bicycle, whatever it might be, you learned how to do that by repetition, right? That's why we run our plays over and over again, right? And in the band, you run, you, you go through your songs and your formation, whatever it is, you learn it by doing it over and over and over again. Is that right? That's how you learn anything. And so Paul is saying, Repetition, me talking about the same things again to you, is good for you. And I don't mind, he's saying, to tell you again about these things I'm going to say. Now, we don't know if there was, for sure, if there was another letter that he wrote that God did not see fit to put in uh, the, the Bible as we have it. We don't know if this is, was from a previous visit uh, or, or, or things he's said already in the letter. I tend to think there was another letter. He probably would have written other letters, and God, by his uh, uh, design, gave us what he wanted us to have. But it doesn't matter, really, because Paul's just saying, look, it's okay to repeat things again. In fact, it's good for you. And that's what we're doing in Bible class, and that's what, that's what uh, being here regularly is about, is because not only is it about the fellowship, and most importantly the worship, but it's good to hear things again, 
Because you don't want somebody saying, well, I can't talk about faith or baptism or, or the church or, or whatever it might be again because I talked about that two years ago. Are you kidding me? we got to remind ourselves what the Word of God says so that, because the more we hear it, the more we what? Learn it. And the more we learn it, the more we do what? Live it. You see that? So Paul's saying, it's okay. And you need to, you need to be glad that I'm writing to, this, to you about this again because it's safe for you. Now, look at verses 2 through 3. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He uses some of his strongest language here to call them dogs. He's not talking about the neighborhood dogs running around. He's calling some people dogs. Now, who's he calling dogs? That's strong language. He's not cussing, but it's strong language that he's using. Well, he's talking about the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were Jewish people who became Christians and held on to the law of Moses and said, uh, e even Gentiles who became Christians had to follow the law of Moses and live by Jewish customs. And they believed that, and so they were trying to uh, require that Gentile Christians did that to be accepted in God's sight, to be righteous. And so Paul battled this a lot in his letters to say, no, that's wrong, that's not right. When Jesus came, it's different now. And so he's, he's dealing with some of the, mis, the false teachings that they're giving. to him. And he's saying, look out for those dogs, those evildoers who mutilate the flesh. Now, uh, one of the things that the Judaizers held on to and valued highly was circumcision. That was a covenant that God made with uh, Abraham back in Genesis 17. Now, circumcision was nothing new. It had been around for, been practiced by uh, uh, nations all over for centuries. But God chose that, uh, that practice uh, to be a covenant between him and his people. And so the Judaizers wanted to continue that on with Gentile Christians, not realizing that that's not what this is about anymore. And so uh, Paul addresses that, and he says that these Judaizers uh, we're not the righteous ones. That He says, we are the circumcision. In, in other words, it's not about this physical uh, procedure anymore. It's not about a physical thing when it comes to this covenant. He says, we're the circumcision. And, and in fact, you are just mutilators of the flesh because you're not even doing it with the right heart. Because even in the Old Testament, God talked about that ultimately this was about a heart right with God. And Paul's saying, you're not even doing it with the right heart. So all you're doing is mutilating the flesh. That's it. It's meaningless to you. And we are the circumcision. Now, Paul said, uh, we are the circumcision, meaning Christians. And here's what he means by that. Those who worship by the Spirit of God. Those who glory in Christ Jesus. And those who put no confidence in the flesh. That's who he's talking about. So he's saying, we are the circumcision. He's not talking about a physical act. He's saying people. So he's shifted things and he's telling them that it ain't the same anymore. Now in Acts chapter 15, the church actually met about this. Because it was such a big issue in those days. 
And so there was this Jerusalem council. And let's look at a few passages in Acts 15 and, and, and uh, get a better understanding of this. In verse number 1, But some men came down to, from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they studied the issue together. Verse 6, and the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Paul stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word, the word of the gospel and believe. And God, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Remember, by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Talking about the old law. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. He's saying it's about faith in Christ now. It ain't about the old customs and practices. Now, let's, let's go through some passages here because there's a reason why I'm spending some time on this. Look at Romans 2, 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, the outward practices and customs, just the appearance, and we could talk about that as a Christian, just having the right appearance of one doesn't mean you're living faithfully as a Christian. Verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. 1 Corinthians 7, 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision is meaningless, but keeping the commandments of God. Galatians 5, 2, 3, and 6. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He hits his heart in the letter to the Galatians. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We're building. Look at Galatians 6, 12, 13, and 15. It is those who want to make a good showing, a good appearance, in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised, Paul tells them. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So it was a little bit of self-preservation for the Jews to uh, require this of the Gentile Christians. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in the flesh. It's meaningless. They didn't even understand the real meaning behind it. So verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but what? A new creation. That's where we're going. That's, where I, that's why I wanted to build up to this and spend time on it, because I want us to get to Christ. And that's where Paul is going with this. So what's the new creation Paul is talking about? The new creation he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. The old has passed away, and the behold, the new has come. 
Well, how do I get in Christ? He tells us in Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him in baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see that new creation? Well, what is that? That's that circumcision that, Jesus, that, that Paul is teaching. You get in Christ through baptism, and that's how you become a new creation, a new creature in Christ. Is there another way to do it? No, there's not. You want to be in Christ? The Bible tells us how to get in Christ. Is, is baptism just something that I can do if I want to, or an outward show for others to see? Well, that's exactly what the Judaizers did with circumcision for the Gentiles. It was just an outward show for everyone to see. And that's not what the Bible teaches about baptism. It is to get into Christ, to become a new creation. You can't be a new creation unless you're in Christ. How do you get in Christ? Through baptism. Now, Colossians 2, 11 through 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh. How? By the circumcision of Christ. What's that? Baptism. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Oh, thank you, Paul, for clearing that up for us. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, it's not about following the old law anymore uh, that he set aside nailing it, on, nailing it on the cross. Hebrews addresses that, that the old covenant was done away with because it was useless, the Bible says in Hebrews. And it was nailed on the cross with Christ. Why? Because now it's about being in Christ. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's where I'm trying to get us to. And where Paul's going is it's about being in Christ. Now, Paul wanted the Philippian Christians to know the external practice of circumcision was no more required. It was about being in Christ. See, our salvation isn't about external works and, and being busy, busy, busy in the church and making sure you did the whole involvement form and, and, and you're doing 50 things. Because remember, we've been talking about it's about being engaged but not overwhelmed and burned out because that doesn't earn you any kind of credit with God. We serve because we want to because of what Christ has done for us, not because we think we have to follow some laws and regulations. See, see we accept that gift uh, of God's salvation. We respond to that salvation, that faith, by putting our faith in Christ and being baptized in Him. That's how we're united with Christ. Baptism isn't our work like physical circumcision was. It's God's work. It's not something we're doing. It's not our effort. It's God's effort. Why? Because that's the way he did it. Now look at verses 4 through 9 in Philippians chapter 3. Paul tells the Philippians, look, you can't be more Jewish than me. No, none of these Judaizers out here trying to require this of you are more Jewish than me. 
and he pulls rank on them, and he walks through and says, look, I've got all the credentials. You want to, you want to talk to somebody who uh, was a strict follower of the law, who had him? Paul had escalated to the high, about the highest point he could get to. He, was, uh, he walks through all of his credentials, all of his accomplishments, when he was a Jewish a Pharisee and, and, and follower of the, the old you know, Jewish law, the Old Testament. And man, he meant it too. There wasn't any more, more, anyone more serious than Paul was about that. Now, Paul was all in 100% until that day. You remember that day in Paul's life? He was on the road to Damascus. He was in 100%, and he was 100% against Jesus and the church. He was 100% for the old law and following that strictly until that day walking to Damascus. And do you know what he was going to do in Damascus? He had just gotten letters for a permission from the high priest to go and arrest, go into homes and arrest Christians. That's what he was doing when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And in Acts 9, we see that story of how Jesus turned him around. In verse 1, we see that he got those letters, he was on his way to Damascus, and then Paul recounts that story of how Jesus turned his life around, how he, he had an encounter with Christ, and he became convicted that he was wrong and he needed to live for Christ. But look at verses 20 through 22 in Acts chapter 9. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. What did Paul do as soon as he met Christ? He was baptized, the Bible said. And then in verse 20, right after he was baptized, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He's the Son of God. Now they doubted because, look, in verse 21, uh, Luke records, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. As soon as Paul came to know Jesus, he was all in for Jesus. It wasn't about the old external achievements and accomplishments and all the laws and regulations that he could follow to earn his way, his righteousness to God. He knew that now he had accepted that free gift of righteousness in Christ through baptism, through his faith in him. He said uh, that his heart was set on Christ from the moment he became a Christian and he went moved forward 100% to tell others about him. Now, he had also suffered the loss Paul tells us, of all things. And he said it was worth it. Because guess what they did in, in verse 23 of chapter 9? They decided they were going to kill him. The Jews were going to kill him because he became a Christian and now was proclaiming Christ. And they had planned to kill him. Fortunately, they didn't, it didn't work out as quickly as they would have liked for it to. But look back at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. Philippians 3 and verse 9. Paul said he no longer had a righteousness that he thought he had achieved by all his accomplishments, all of his following the rules, that now he understood his righteousness was in Christ, by being in Christ, his faith in Christ. So you want to know what mattered to Paul? 
You want true joy in your life? Do you want to, to have a true purpose and meaning and fulfillment and identity in Christ? Look at what Paul said in verses 10 through 11. That here's what mattered to him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the righteousness from the dead. He said, everything I had before was a loss to me, and I counted a loss because I've gained Christ. Nothing else mattered except to find Christ. Reminds me of the parables we talked about last week, of the hidden treasure and the, and the hidden pearl, the lost pearl. Because that's exactly what Paul is teaching here. Paul said, I just want to know Jesus and be found in him. Paul wanted to be completely absorbed in Jesus. Is that the kind of relationship you want with Christ? Just completely fulfilled, absorbed, saturated in Christ. That's what Paul wanted. And that's what he wanted for the Philippian Christians and wanted for us. He wanted to know everything about Jesus. Now think about your relationship with Christ. Is that how your relationship looks? That you just want to be completely consumed by him. Remember earlier he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is game. Paul ultimately wanted to know Jesus at the resurrection. And how do you get there? By being in Christ through faith. See, our culture rewards long hours, burnout, burning the candle at both ends. The more you work and sacrifice for the company, the more your status can rise, the higher you can climb on the ladder, and the more money you can get in your bank account. And, you're, and, and the boss, will, most places, will never tell you no. The more you do and sacrifice, the better. It's rewarded in our culture. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard and all of that, but we get it flipped sometimes because our accomplishments and our achievements and our accumulations begin to drive our lives, our families, and everything about our existence. And how often does the pursuit of those things take over our pursuit for Christ? How often are those things more important in our lives than pursuing Christ, to know Him and be found in Him? Do you ever slip into thinking, that your work in the church, that your perfection, that uh, your knowledge or your years as a Christian earned you some special status to God? You ever sometimes just have that thought? Does that mean we shouldn't work, shouldn't serve, shouldn't try our best? Absolutely not. It's the difference in the motivation. That's what Paul's getting at with the Judaizers versus it being about the heart. You should ask yourself, do I really believe that it's Jesus who saved me, his sacrifice, and not, not anything I did. That I can't earn this, I don't deserve it, and that's why I'm motivated to serve, because of what he did for me. That's what motivates my existence, because of what he did for me. See, like the take-it-or-leave-it store on Nantucket Island, Paul said, I, I, I left behind all the status I've accumulated, and he took up Christ and pursued him with his whole life. Remember, Jesus asked, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What good did it do you? You had it all. You did it all. What good did it do you if you don't make it to heaven? It didn't do you any good. And that's what Paul's trying to encourage us this morning. That Jesus is worth absolutely everything. And he's got to be first in our lives. If we can help you this morning, encourage you. If you need, if you need to get 
Get right in your relationship with God. If you want to work on some things in your faith, if we can pray for you, study with you, maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism to start this relationship with God. Whatever your need is, we're here for you, and you're welcome to come forward as we together stand and sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know.